0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. We are back in DLD in Munich, and uh, it's a real thrill to bump into my old friend, uh, Hilary Mason. Thank you. uh, The CEO of Founder of Hidden Door, and um, one of technology's most erudite and ubiquitous presence over the, the last <laughs> few years, Hillary, um, you've been so to speak banging on about AI now for many years. That's you right. Were, you were out there before it became fashionable. Are you astonished with how dominant it's become in 20, uh, it became in twenty twenty three What do you make of what happened in twenty twenty three?
1: So it's true, I've been working in this area for about 20 years now, um, and reluctantly have come around to use the term AI. I always preferred machine learning. Um, What I make of 2023 is that the excitement outpaced the reality of the technology, and the narratives, the power of the narratives largely shifted from technology-focused discussion spaces into much more broad spaces um, political spaces societal spaces some of that is really great some of it is what we need um, because this is a very powerful technology and it should not be left uh, only to those technical spaces but some of it is also a conversation that's largely divorced from a fundamental understanding of what the technology is which is complicated by the fact that Even mathematically, we don't always understand why it does what it does and where it's going next. And so it's been a very exciting year, um, also very frustrating in other ways.
0: Talk more about the politics of all this. Why, Why do you think they're so significant?
1: So we are building systems that can make decisions at scale. These systems are mathematically designed in such a way that they necessarily contain and magnify biases and issues and yet much of the conversation happening in the political domain is around existential risk of where the technology may go over you know some some years in the future and not so much focused on harms being perpetuated today um and so it is very important to have all of those conversations but where the focus and a lot of the energy has gone i think has been somewhat suboptimal for Leading to a world in which the technology can be used for what it's actually good for and where we are not, um, you know, afraid of it where we don't need to be.
0: Let's get into that a little bit more. Uh, we know that our, our culture historically has been biased again, certain groups, women, people of color. Mm-hmm. Are you arguing that because? Generative AI in particular platforms technologies like ChatGPT, GPT have essentially hoovered up our entire culture uh, to acquire their intelligence, that they're simply replicating those biases. Is that the problem with the, 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 the scale and the, 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 the politics of scale that you just talked about?
1: Yes, that's a concise way to represent the core of the issue.
0: But on the other hand, It doesn't seem as if we as a society have ever been more sensitive and aware and mostly determined to to, to fix some of those biases so isn't that in in a sense a a good thing and won't we create ways to make sure that um, that these technologies these tools won't fall into the same traps that we have historically fallen into
1: I'm not as confident as you sound that, that uh, we not. will I, 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 do just, this without yeah. a strong motivation to do so. And I think much of the focus on existential risk of AI distracts from the focus on building these requirements that systems do not perpetuate these harms that we already understand. Um, that's all.
0: Hillary, one of the other issues, and again, you- all too aware of this, is that many creative people feel as if these platforms are, are, are stealing their creativity, their, their art, their music, their words. Yes. Is this a problem too?
1: Yes. Um, at Hidden Door, we license the content. We work directly with the writers and the creators of content um, because the world I want to live in is one in which those creators share transparently and equally in the economic benefits of what the technology can create. Um, And it is absolutely an issue that people's work is being used without attribution, uh, acknowledgement, without credit, without an opportunity to opt out or to control what it's used for. And for the first time, like. If we're being very blunt about it, machine learning has a long history of using publicly available information to train models. The vast majority of these models were usually hidden inside some kind of system where they would never compete with or even come to the awareness of the person who created the underlying data set. And I'm talking about things like spam classifiers being trained on emails that were, you know, you marked it as spam or not spam, right? things that were more about, uh, let's say, you know, operational efficiency of a system than it was about building a system that could possibly compete with the person who did that original work. Um, And that's what's changed economically uh, as we think about what is now called generative AI in that context.
0: So when it comes to the taking of other people's property, is this Current AI revolution really just history repeating itself. Didn't this happen also with Web 2.0 and the original social media platforms and the way in which, uh, without people's permission, their content was taken and recycled and then turned back on them as advertising?
1: I think there it's an interesting parallel, and I'd love to think about that, but there are there's a somewhat different dynamic in the sense that in the world of social media, your data may have been used without your explicit uh, knowing permission in order to target you and essentially repackage you as a product on these platforms, as we say. But here it is. It is doing something subtly different um, in a way that goes directly to somebody's primary economic engine too so if you are a writer and someone else comes along and trains a model on your writing or you're an artist and they train the model on your style so they can create new things there's something really wonderful in that because they can create something that you may have never you know you might have never come up with or something very uniquely meaningful to them um but they the problem is that uh, now the artists or the creators losing control over the the creative works and the derivatives of them that they themselves created. And it is that um, that direct competition that is troublesome and even more so than the reality of it is the imagined reality of it in the sense that if you look to the writer's strike um, in the US, on both sides, there were statements that were not based in the you know, actual capabilities of the technology that people are, you know, very emotional and very upset about um, to, to, for very good reason. But it's also very hard to have a reason conversation where you come up with a way to use the thing for what it's actually good for while still valuing and rewarding the people whose creative works are going into allowing that to even be possible.
0: Yeah, you talk about reasoned conversation, Hillary. So <laughs> <to be> <laughs> <lot of>, uh, <laughs> that is uh, uh, a lot is of the very challenge. angry creative people taking these big tech companies to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, this latest explosion of AI also seems to have divided the AI community itself. You at DLD is speaking, you're the penultimate speaker. The final speaker is Gary Marcus, uh, who's been on the show several times before. Yes. Very divisive controversial AI uh, intellectual and certainly uh, he knows his stuff but not everyone agrees with him to what extent has this latest explosion which has made AI front-page news for much of 2023 and inevitably for 2024 to what extent has this divided the AI community itself and we saw of course much of this in the the boardroom the very public boardroom struggle at OpenAI?
1: That is a very good question. I'm going to draw from a little bit of a different background for this And that in 2014, I founded a company called Fast Forward Labs. It's a was a machine learning research company. I started that company because there was already a fracture between what was possible in the academic machine learning AI community in startups, in the big tech industry side of the world and at industrial research beyond what we would call big tech, Um, messed up incentives, no access to data or resources, people working on things that were never going to become useful or practical. Um, And so there have been these fractures for a long time. I think what's different about this conversation is that, as I said at the beginning, the impact of the technology we're working on has scaled well outside of the the sort of tech or AI only spaces and that people who work, like I'm a technologist, I'm a computer scientist, um, the community of computer scientists, of researchers, of applied software engineers are not people who are generally trained or encouraged to think about the larger scale impact on society, or even about people at all, or how to do user research, or how to mitigate these kinds of harms. And so the groundwork or that foundation was already fractured. And then you bring in this kind of step function increase in capability of the systems, a worldwide recognition that this technology can have tremendous influence, cause economic disruption, and now you've got a tremendously fractured community. And then you layer into that the incentives of capitalism and companies like OpenAI who are strongly incentivized to push something like an AGI religious message for their own self-interest. And it is a, um, a mess.
0: You talked about the AGI relig- religious message um, at, uh... At OpenAI, it's both a religious and an anti-religious, both the end of the world and the beginning of the world. Mm -hmm. But there's another ideology coming out of OpenAI, which is effective altruism. What do you make of that? And is there some sort of natural association between uh, progressive technologists, particularly within AI, and this ideal of effective altruism?
1: I think effective altruism is a very seductive philosophy for people who like to be primarily logical, and it is something that naturally is very attractive in the culture of Silicon Valley and sort of West Coast US. Um, And here is where I say I'm proudly from New York City, so not that community personally. Um, But yeah, that's all I'm gonna say on that
0: it's the logical moral conclusion of utilitarianism isn't
1: it it is um but it can also lead to some very confusing outcomes in the sense of weighing very tiny existential risks against tremendous harms being perpetuated around living people today as you know, more important because of the potential people who have not been born yet who may be impacted, and these are not particularly mature, sophisticated arguments, but they are the ones that I have heard around why these are important conversations, and yeah, they're somewhat, uh, somewhat troublesome.
0: How do you personally walk the line between that extreme moral utilitarianism, which you've suggested? sounded to me as if it's rather childish and on the other hand the extreme self-interest of the, the Andreessen's and the Musk's and the Teal's you've always struck me as someone who is concerned about the future of the world but at the same time is a serial startup entrepreneur you've got a, a new company mm-hmm. you've worked with venture capitalists how do you walk the line between these two extremes
1: My personal philosophy is largely to imagine the world I want to live in, which is one that is inclusive and just and supports equality and supports opportunity, and then to use whatever means I have to create that world where I can. And you'll see those principles underlying the design of our business and our product at Hidden Door, the same at my last company. You see, I run diverse teams. I hire a lot of people from non-traditional backgrounds. Um, I invest, and Angel invests almost exclusively in, in diverse founders or people who may not otherwise have the chance to let their brilliance you know, come forward in the world. And that is my personal way of, as you say, navigating many competing incentives And also, I have a lot of fun doing it.
0: Hilary, I don't want to pigeonhole you, stereotype you, but over the years, you and I have had conversations on and offline about the role of women in tech. Uh Uh-huh. You're the mother of two young boys. Um, Do you think as a mother and as a woman, you bring a different, not necessarily a superior, but a different kind of sensibility, moral sensibility to these issues?
1: I think that... I mean, broadly speaking, any anyone with a different background um, does. And this is not so much about an individual, because if I only worked with people with my same background, like it, it, we wouldn't be doing the quality of work I want to see. It is when you have people from multiple perspectives who come together and who do that with a foundation of inclusivity and respect so that, you know, when I build a team, I try to ask the question of, you know, how do we find the people who can best do the work? Maybe they haven't done it for 20 years already, um, but what else might we look for in that background? How do we make sure that people who are coming onto our team are not the same as all the people we have already? And then how do they thrive? How do we set them up um, so they can succeed and move on to do whatever remarkable thing they want to do? And I'll speak as a professional now Twenty years into my career, one of my greatest joys is seeing all of the people I've had the chance to work with in the past go on to do really interesting things, um, and to find their own successes, uh, whatever those may actually be. And I do think that uh, you know, tech is biased. I'm working in the gaming industry now. It has many issues. Uh, potentially, let's let's say somewhat toxic work culture issues as well. Um, and I do think that it is perhaps my own experience with those things that lead me to try to create my own spaces where they are not problematic in those ways. Um, and maybe it's why I don't work for other people either because they're not the kinds of spaces I'm going to succeed and thrive in. So I do think that those different backgrounds do, uh, do you know motivate a different kind of, of approach and it's really important that we be conscious and mindful of creating spaces where everyone can thrive.
0: Hillary, it's no news that the tech industry has generally done historically a rather bad job. It seems to be, or has been at least, a club for young boys who dropped out of Harvard or Stanford. (laughs) Um, Has this latest wave of AI and, and the massive amounts of money being poured into the industry, this? This new excitement. Is there any evidence that this is changing or is it still still the club of of young white men, privileged educated or miseducated at the top universities in America? Is it still the core problem?
1: I'm gonna say I am encouraged by being here at DLD and hearing people hold up the tech bro as the, you know, stereotypical thing we want to collectively reject. So I'm encouraged by that. That was not the case here four years ago, even, um, that there was this awareness of the potentially problematic nature of that in-group, that, you know, boys club.
0: But if you look at where the economic power lies, then yes, absolutely. Um, the only thing that matters, and frankly,
1: I've been very lucky to be supported, encouraged by a lot of people who feel the same way, and I try to do that as well.
0: Twenty twenty-three, um, uh, Hillary, as we all know, is the age, of, uh, the year of AI, but it's also the year of billionaires. It would seem behaving particularly badly. <laughs> Elon Musk is exhibit A. Recently, scandal over Harvard, uh, uh, Bill Ackman, the multi-billionaire Harvard uh, graduate who's determined to overthrow uh, the university. Uh, Is that something that's troubling you, as um, uh, uh, particularly in terms of power and economics, that these men can get away with such dreadful behavior?
1: Yes. I mean, honestly, they should not um and the systems that allow them to gain that kind of power and then use it you know are clearly not optimal for most of us
0: they seem to be be behaving like entitled aristocrats of course all aristocrats are entitled to return (laughs) to the 17th or 18th century maybe we Mm -hmm. will have some revolutions in the future let's end by talking about Hidden Door, your latest startup. Tell us, uh, you were on the show a year or two ago, you were talking about Hidden Door. What's happened with Hidden Door? Let's go behind, I excuse the pun here,
1: The Hidden Door, (laughs)
0: Hilary. Was was 2023 a good year for Hidden Door?
1: It's been a really excellent year. So um, Hidden Door, we work directly with creators, take any work of fiction, again, working with the authors, to make it a playable social role-playing game automatically. And our players get to come in and have a new kind of fan experience in the worlds that they already love. So given that background, we have launched it. It's in closed alpha. We are collaborating with a few authors to bring their worlds onto the platform. We are, you know, learning how people want to play these sorts of games and where their creativity is taking them and what's different about playing on hidden door versus it's much more like playing a tabletop role playing game like Dungeons and Dragons than it is than playing a like a pre written computer game, because you can change where your world goes, you can change direct the plot um through the choices your characters make or you make for your characters it's just really fun to have real people playing the game to see what they want to do um and then to make a better game for them so this is going to be 2024 is going to be an even bigger year so uh more more worlds on the platform more players and moving towards a public launch
0: have you found in your experience at hidden door that the traditional audience the people who sit back and consume content on television or on YouTube, that they also want to be creators?
1: Yes, the, the audience for something like what we do at Hidden Door are the people who read a book and still think about it. The people who watch a movie and want to talk to you about it, um, it's those people. It's not hardcore gamers. Many of them are sort of role-playing curious, or maybe they've read some fan fiction or they're sort of interested in that space. Um, but it's that person who, like, we're all creative. And if you like to daydream, like, that's really the energy that people bring to playing on Hidden Door.
0: And we're all gamers then.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in the all- best
0: sense, though. I mean, I, as you know, I'm somewhat of a skeptic when it comes to gaming.
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: but gaming in a good sense
1: gaming in a sense that the game is a way of having really fun creative experiences alone or with your friends that give you things to talk about and ways to explore worlds of books that you already love
0: and finally Hilary, what would you like to see happen in 2024 broadly i mean we all want of course hidden door to continue to do well (laughs) but what would you like to see broadly within the community what would be positive developments when we meet in munich again in January, 2025, what would you like to see
1: happen? I mean, I'd like to see a focus on uh, first, like let's just say rights to healthcare for trans people, for women, like let's start there, like basic human rights. And I'm speaking mostly about the US because that's where I live. And I'll say within the AI community, um, I would like to see much more thoughtfulness on using the technology for what it's actually good for, realizing chat is a horrible interface for most applications and designing products that actually allow people to do more creative things while not uh, sort of stealing the content of the people who, whose work is used to train those models. And I think we can do
0: that. And if we meet here in a year's time, Hillary, and a, a certain Donald Trump is the new slash old president of the United States. What will we be talking about?
1: <laughs> Not those things, and uh, let's just do whatever we can to make sure that doesn't happen.